You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul the Apostle, as he's speaking to leaders like you in Ephesus, as he was giving his last swan song, he said to them, he says, I testify to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now, I go bound in spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulation await me. This is his is response. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with, with joy. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. May joy and peace and love saturate this place now. Your love, your peace, your joy. Not ours. We can't produce that stuff. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat, gentlemen. Thank you so, so kindly. I thank uh, Pastor Joe for allowing me to have the liberty and freedom of movement. He says, share whatever you want to share. So when he called like, like six, seven months ago, I had something. And it changed and it changed and it changed. And so I thought very appropriate. This is May. For me, May is very important in my life. May is dynamic for me. See, two days ago, on the 17th, it was 40 years that I walked into Cal Chapel, Costa Mesa, and I received the Lord. I had no idea what the Lord was going to do. Absolutely none. No idea. None. And what attracted me is that they all look weirder than I was. They all look like they really took more acid than I did. But there was a great exuding love from everyone. And although the message had to do with Daniel and some kind of lions, I was tripping. I had no idea who, who Daniel was. But that homeboy went through some changes, man. And I had no idea. I, the Holy Spirit just touched me that day as nothing has ever had. And I received the Lord. Out of the 2,000 kids that were there, there is only myself and two surfer girls. I was the only one, the only male that went up. Everybody was there were saved. They were just celebrating, worshiping God. But I was tore up. I was messed up looking up. I, I, I just received the Lord and he transformed my life. That was May 17. But also in May, two years earlier, I had met a, a beautiful Puerto Rican girl. Red hair, hazel eyes. And, and so she fell in love with me and I gave her permission. And so... <laughs> So we've been together now for 42 years, May the 5th, 42 years. Same chick, <laughs> same chick. And, and also May, 17 years later, 17 years later, after I became a Christian, uh, you see, I was involved in ministry, very active in ministry. Um, I thought, I don't want to be a pastor. I see what they go through. I don't want to be a pastor. I'm just here to assist, to help and facilitate, accommodate. That's all I want to do. 
I have a county job. I've been working for the county for 16 years. I, I got a cush job. I do four more years, do my 20, get another job, do maybe 14, put my military six years. I got 2020. 20, just wait until I get old, go to Denny's for 55% off. That was my view of life. So I was doing ministry um, at Calvary Chapel, and I was in charge of the parking lot ministry. Hey, hey, parking lot. <laughs> and I, I loved it. But then the Lord had put a calling. I started doing a Bible study. And in 19, 1992, in May of 1992, that's when I said goodbye to my job. There was no money involved. I didn't get paid for six, seven months. But I got blessed by God. God never let me down. To this day, to this day since 1992, God, listen to me, God has never left me down. Not once, not at all. God has been faithful to me. So May is very important to me. And being here with you, celebrating 40 years of Christianity, being here with you, uh, it, it is a major, major blessing. The title of my message is called Sacrifice and Service in Christian Leadership. Sacrifice and service. They go together. And so the scripture that I want to use is from Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. I won't give you the verse yet. Because I want to I set it up so you can understand uh, where we're coming from. I've been, doing, I've been involved in ministry. I got saved in 75. In 76, I started doing ministry. I just loved ministry because I knew that I was, a, I, was a, I was a slave of sin for many years. And then the emancipation came when Jesus came into my life. He changed me. And I went out to be a slave of Jesus by choice. Not mechanical. Nothing forceful. It was very organic. This is what I got to do. He redeemed me. He saved me for a purpose. I asked him one day, Lord, if you teach me how to read English properly, I'll serve you. <laughs> I can see God go, no problem. And so I went to school, and I was one of those persons that, 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 that is, I'm a victim of biculturalism. You know, I don't know how to read Spanish. I don't know how to read English. I can't speak English. I can't speak Spanish. I'm messed up. I'm bi-messed up. But by the grace of God, he just, he just took me, and, and I began to read. I, I graduated from East L.A. College, and I went to a, a four-year college. I was going to go, but after two years, I said, Lord, I don't want to go through this. I already learned how to read English already, man. And so I, I got out, I got out of college, and immediately I had a desire to go to Bible college. Not so I can be a pastor, I just want to get grounded and rooted, mature in the things of God. I wanted to know God intimately. Plus it was a scholarship. Someone said, Ponch, someone's willing, willing to pay for you to go to Bible school. Well, praise Jesus, Jehovah Jireh, let's go. Boom. <laughs> and then I graduated from there, and there was a prototype pastor school, a two-year program. And I said, Lord, if, if you want me to go. And someone said, we have a scholarship for you. Hallelujah. Jehovah Jireh. And I went there. And, and so prior to that, though, I need to share this with you. Uh, the hymns are so ministering to me. Because when I got saved at Costa Mesa in 1975, after a while, it was so far from East L.A. to travel all the way to Costa Mesa. So we found a little church. I will not tell you the denomination. But I lovingly call it the first church of refrigeration. <laughs> and the only le legitimacy and the only legacy from that church in my experience is that's where my wife and I got married. The second thing, the hymns. The hymns never left me. I left the denomination. 
But the hymns never left me. There's something about those hymns that just get to you and they cut to you. Maybe it's me. Because when I found Jesus, every word that came out of the... You see, in those days, before projection, they will give you handouts. Where all the words were there. And the words were phenomenal. They just hit the heart. And that never left me. And so I share this with you because in a moment, I'll share with you that, that it, it was a dark moment for me in ministry. And what got me out of that funk, I'll share this with you. It, it, it was that hymn, I, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Powerful words. If you know the, the origin behind that hymn, it'll bless, it will bless your mind. Man, I won't tell you what it's all about. But it, it, I didn't know. I didn't know the background of that hymn. But when I was singing that hymn in my lowest of points, I was singing that song. And then the third stanza, that's what gets to me. Though none go with me, I still shall follow. No turning back, no turning back. And I did that because I was in children's ministry to sing that song. And we tell the, tell the children, you know, the cross before me, the world behind me. And then all the kids will go, no turning back, no turning back. Very ministering to me. But Rick Chafin referred to Philippians and that's where I wanted to go. But let me set the setting. Don't raise your hands. But... Have you been arrested? Have you ever been in, in jail or prison? Don't raise your hands. <laughs> Rhetorical question. You know, if you were to ask me, I said yes. But, but I say no because I, I only did, the longest I did, I think it was eight days. Eight days, the first time. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and to know that Paul was writing from prison. Let, 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 let me set the setting. Paul's current prison private world. He's a prisoner of Rome. His future, very uncertain. He's awaiting hearing from, from, from Emperor Nero whether he lived or whether he died. But chapter 1, Paul says that he's betwixt. That's an English word, brother. That's betwixt. What does that mean? That he has a dual desire. He says, listen, I don't mind if I die. Which is better, by the way. It's to be with Jesus. But man, I want to remain here with you. So I can accommodate you in your fellowship with Jesus. So for the sake of the church, he will stick around a little longer if needed. Now, what we see in the book of Philippians, Paul exudes confidence, joy, contentment, love, appreciation. He submits himself totally to the divine providence of God. When you read chapter 1, he says this. He says, it's all cool. I am what I am. No problem. I'm under God's hand. In fact, don't worry about me. In fact, he says, I'm in prison. And the guys here in jail, they, they, all the officers, they're getting saved. The palace guard, they're all getting saved. And the contextual t uh, setting is that Paul is exhorting the Philippian church. As believers, they were expect suffering, adversity, and some type of conflict. According to chapter 1, verse 28 and 29. And I really don't like verse 29. I mean, that's not a kumbaya one, man. This is heavy. There in, in Philippians chapter 1, in, in, verse, in, verse, um, in verse 29, he says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, aye, but also to suffer for his sake. Wow, I don't like that. I just want to have a kumbaya experience. Not, not this. And so from the get-go, he's real. 
from the get-go, he says, listen, as a Christian, and much more as a leader, and much more as a pastor, don't think that life is going to be static. You're going to get into ministry, or you're in ministry, and everything's cool. There are issues. Age. Degeneration. I wasn't born with no hair. I had hair. I had hair like the mixture of Tony Orlando and Farrah Fawcett. I did. So Paul, Paul admonishes the Philippians. He goes, do not be terrified by your adversaries, but have conduct worthy of the gospel. What is becoming a Christian? Your conduct is very important, he says. Two things has you got to get rid of. Number one, selfish ambition and self-conceit. And then he says, have lowliness of mind. And then say, what mind? What mind? And Paul says, have the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ is one of humility. Come unto me, all of you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come and learn from me. Learn what? For I'm lowly and meek. That's what we're going to learn. How to be meek. How to be lowly. So you're saying that we're overburdened by what? Obviously, the opposite of lowly and humble is full of pride. And, and Jesus said, that's what's killing you. You're so concerned about self. You're so concerned about your ego. You're so concerned about self that you're disoriented. You have no base and you're confused. Come unto me and I'll give you rest for your souls. So Paul the apostle here, that is, he's telling them that with a humble mind of Jesus, they should also have the same mind. And then he says, and I'll get there. It is actually verse 17 of chapter 2. Let me get there. In spite of living in a crooked and perverse generation, he says, put your light on and let it shine in this darkened world. Be blameless and faultless and, and hold on fast to the word of life. See, the word hold fast is an English word. It's, if you look it up in the dictionary, you have 27 definitions. That's a fast one on me. I'm going in a fast. Whew, that's too fast for me. He got 27 definitions. Which one is it? Well, it's the old English standard, which means firmly fixed in place, not easily move. Hold on fast. That's something I learned in the military. Hold fast. Hold fast to what, eh? Go fast to who? And I learned quickly. That means you, you stand by. Unshakable, unmovable. You firmly are placed. Do not move. Steady, stand fast. And for me, that, that word means that the word of God was very important. The word of God. That is something that, that yesterday when, when I, I heard that, that the, the panel was going to be at nighttime. So I was in my room kicking it like a cricket. I was just, just I was messed up. And it just came in in a tin can of sardines, man, late at night. I wanted to crash and said, no, he says, Joe's calling for you. So I came running here and I was late. So Joe asked me, what do you think? And I got emotional because I said, man, well, see, just the day before, not even 24 hours, I was at our church. We have three services and there's nothing fantastic. There's nothing phenomenal. There's, there's nothing poetical about my preaching, obviously, but it's the word of God. And at every service. We got four or five people getting saved. We're not talking about people who rededicated lives. 
We're talking about hardcore people with tattoos in their head and their forehead. And they just, just surrender to Jesus Christ. And it's not that I'm saying something to them that is very intellectually. It's just the pure, unadulterated word of God. Simple. And, 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 and it's like, that's something that I learned when I got saved. The word of God. The word of God. The word of God. The word of God. So Paul the Apostle says, hold on to the word of life. And now we come to the study verse. There in Philippians chapter 2, 16 says, So that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labor in vain. Yes, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. Notice, I am glad, secondly, and rejoice with you all. For the same reason that I'm a sacrifice and service to you, you also be glad and rejoice with me so that I may rejoice. Now we go back. Paul is the founder of the Philippian church. So Paul is the spiritual father. The Philippians are their children. So Paul was instrumental in the conversion of the Philippians. Paul was very interested in them. And so, I don't know if you ever had your Bible signed by Chuck. Chuck, when he signed my Bible, he puts 3 John chapter 1, verse 4. Chuck will say, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. That's it. Chuck, Chuck was not a, a lot of words. When, when, when he found out that my wife had cancer, he called me over. He says, Punch, I'd like to pray with you. Oh, Pastor Chuck, get down, brother. Yes. Lord, what a few bad brain cells to you. <laughs> you know, I was expecting a, a get downer, you know, like, hey, get Pentecostal on me right now. Do something. <laughs> I, I want something else. What a few bad cells to you. In Jesus' name, heal Millie. I honestly, I walked away like, dude, really? Come on. Come on. I wanted something more, man. I want a tabernacle power. You know what I mean? I want Mount Zion to come down. No. Paul was always very interested in the state of my wife's condition. So Paul entreats as a means of promoting his highest joy to be faithful and holy. So the exemplary faithfulness and holy lives of the members of the Christian church will have a significant impact upon Paul. Now where's Paul? He's writing from prison. And all he's asking, he says, fulfill my joy by being united. One mind, one heart, one spirit. Be united. Have loneliness of mind. Don't think about yourselves, but think of other people. For He's writing from prison. And, and as he's writing from prison, he gives us a sacrificial imagery of the Hebrew scriptures. Now, if we're not familiar with the old scriptures and sacrificial, we miss the whole point. So I hope and pray if you're not familiar with the sacrificial imageries there in the Old Testament, and then you'll, you'll miss the meaty content of what Paul is saying. Not one time, as I share with you, is he... Is he speaking about, about complaining? 
he talks about that a, a submissive mind experiences joy even in the midst of suffering. And all he wants, he says, listen, I want to rejoice. I want to rejoice in the day of Christ. That's the, that's the, that, that is the, the futuristic consideration. He says that on that day, it is the day of Christ. Is a, at time, that's not permit us to go through the whole you know, doctrine of the day of Christ. But we do know that it's coming. That it's, a, it's Jesus' triumph glory. And refers to a day when the Lord Jesus will appear to receive his people to himself. It is a day when the work of God upon a follower of Jesus will finally be completed. And that's what he says in verse 6 of chapter 1. I'm confident of this very thing. That who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Christ is the time when Paul's work was to be tested like all of us. Is the day of reckoning. Now I didn't know the word reckoning man. I used to watch the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> well grandma I reckon. Now, if you don't know the Beverly Hillbillies I'm so sorry I'm dating myself. But that's what I, I used to see Buddy Epson. Oh grandma I reckon. I never took the time to look up the word reckon. I just thought it's a hillbilly thing. You know. Uh, like in the Bible, we have act, we have Festus. When I think of Festus, I think of gun smoke. When I think of Gomer, I think of Gomer Pyle. You know. And so they're, they're all biblical names. I had no idea until I, I, I came back again. Oh, that's what it means. But the word reckoning means is a banking term. That's when we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna reckon the balances. So Paul the apostle, though he was in prison, he had this futuristic mentality. He had a a a perspective of eternity. When you have a perspective of eternity, it really changes your behavior, your attitude. When you realize you're getting older, when you realize, you know, we only have one life to live. And how we're living it. I've done funerals where, where only like five people show up to the funeral. I'm thinking, where's the legacy of this guy? What happened? You live 50, 60 years and all their legacy is, is only a little dash. That's the dash between their birth year and the, and the year they died. Just a little dash. And Paul the Apostle wanted to maximize as much as possible. Paul the Apostle will use vocational characters to identify the Christian life. He will use soldiers and athletes and farmers. You know, you know the observation I made? The soldier and the athlete and the farmer. You know what they have in common? Anybody know? What do you think they have? Just throwing it out. Okay. Hard work. Hard work. But to get hard work, you need to have motivation. See, I know boxers. There's a lot of boxers in California. Those guys are up at 3 in the morning. In the morning. Doing the Rocky thing. And he's telling We have a bunch of boxers. Because they see their way out, out of the hood by boxing. And you see them with their hoods 4 o'clock in the morning. You know, they're not tweakers. You can, tweakers are different. Tweakers are going. 4 o'clock in the morning. Those are tweakers. That's, that's different. <laughs> These are boxers. A farmer 
No, I, 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 when I was in the service, I met a bunch of farmers from Nebraska. Bunch of farmers. They all say the same thing. Ooh, we get up before the chickens. Discipline. What about the soldier? Soldier, that's where you learn self-discipline. So Paul the Apostle says that, that as in the Christian life, that we're like farmers and we're like athletes and soldiers. And there in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, Therefore you, as a Christian, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Also, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And then he breaks down the athletic. The athletic, the athlete is either a wrestler, a boxer, or a runner. So, Paul the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians 9.24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the price? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the price is temperate in all things. Now, be honest. How many here do not know the word temperate? Not you have a temperature. How many do not know? Be honest. Right on. So all of you know what temperate is? Praise the Lord. Well, I didn't know. So I have to go to the book of Daniel. Daniel Webster's, that is. So... It just means someone who has a self-restraint, self-government. Be temperate in all things. Now they, the athletes, they do it to obtain a perishable crown. But we, for imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. And thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. Paul the Apostle had a determination. A determination that, that you and I need so vitally in this world. You see, doing ministry can have a toll on you. Not because of your own fault, you understand. See, there's collateral damage, what I call peripheral madness. My wife had brain cancer. She got brain cancer. She was diagnosed with two types of cancer. And she's healed, by the way. I'll tell you, she's healed. She's, she's still kicking it. She's still kicking it by the grace of God. But it was terrible. And, and some of you know the story, but some of you, it makes sense in the moment. Why, why am I bringing this up? Because here I am in ministry. We're hustling. Everything's fun. Kumbaya. Everything's rejoicing. We're doing good. We get a building. And it's hard in L.A. As ugly as it is in East L.A., the property is very expensive. But here we got our building. Praise God. Everything is going good. We're not struggling. And like I shared with you, being in that community, we don't receive offerings. Not because we're cool. Because we don't want to be like the other churches that all they're doing is exploiting the people. So we want them to get the word of God. And we've been doing that for years. And never once has God left us. Never once. Never in the red. We have never been in the red. But we're not completely in the black. We're just gray. We're just gray, but we're okay. And all of a sudden, you know, boom, you have this dilemma. And so, and then around three months later, four months later, her father dies. That sends another peripheral madness. And now, mom, as I call her, and I'm calling my mother-in-law, mom lives in with us. We have a brother 
who, who has uh, uh, mental challenges. He's one year older than me. And, and so I had to absorb him. I told mom before she died, I'll take care of him. And then mom received the Lord right before she passed away. And so now here we are. Okay, everything's cool. I'm doing ministry. I, I'm going hiding uh, the truth from my mother-in-law because it will break her heart. She has a heart condition that his, her daughter has brain cancer. She may die. So uh, we're, we're going, hiding from her, going to chemo centers and infusions and all the madness. And I'm still doing it. Everything's cool. And then we get to our building project. And here we, have, we bought another building. $2.2 million. And, and the owner decided that he's going to squat. After we sold the property, he sold the property to us. He squatted for around five, six months. $16,000 a month. He squatted. And we didn't want to do any legality because it was worse. And so here we're paying $16,000 a month. And the stress was coming. Oh, Lord, have mercy. So finally he left. Praise God. A month later, he suffered a massive heart attack. I told him, don't mess with us. <laughs> my father, my father's, my father's jamming, man. Don't, don't mess with us. And so the gentleman passed away. His son took over the business. But then he crashed his sports car and he was disabled. And the whole business was shot. Not only that's a payback or not. But that for me, it was like, hey, don't mess with us. And so that was part of the stress. And then finally, we're able to do things. I'm still managing. My wife has cancer. Mom, you know, we're absorbing the pain. And then mom dies. Lord have mercy. Now it's another blow. In the middle of it, uh, we're doing this finances thing. We're, now we're going to get our building. The banks are lined up. The architects say yes. The city say yes. Everything's going well. A new administration came in. And then for some reason... Unbeknown to the staff, I just said, let's not build. And everybody was shook up. What do you mean, let's not build? We've been praying for this, let's not build. Why? I don't know. <laughs> what do you mean, you don't know? The bankers said, what do you mean, you don't know? I don't know. And I thought it was, it was, it was just trepidation. I thought it was just, just, I was fearful of the commitment. And, and I didn't know how to explain it. But then... When the new administration came in, it was a horrible economic downturn. And we saw that if we would have got involved in the building project, we would have not made the financial strokes. We would have lost everything. When, when everybody found out, especially our administrator found out, he said, dude, how did you know, man? I said, well, stick with me, brother. <laughs> no, no, that wasn't it. I was vindicated. But all this madness is happening. I'm in control. I'm able to go to sleep. I'm able to feel cool, teach. I was given permission by the board not to teach on Wednesdays so I can take my wife to chemotherapy. And I did that for five years. Everything was cool. Once she was healed, once everything, all the storm went down, one day I just woke up. One day I just woke up. And everything was dark. I had no energy left. I was sap. I was deflated. I, I was... I didn't know how to get out of that funk. And I said, Lord, what have I done? What have I done? What am I doing? I have no energy left. I don't even want to get up. But I went. It was mechanically. This is the first time I'm sharing this, by the way. This is the first time. 
Because this is the best coast. That's when, you know, this is, I share this with you. I have not shared this with anybody publicly. It's the first time. And only our staff knew. The board and the staff knew what I was going through. So people told me, go see a doctor. I want to see a doctor. And he says, what kind of job do you do? I'm a pastor. Well, that, sh- that shouldn't keep you awake at night. <laughs> he says, you know, find a new vocation. Don't worry about people. Seriously. Everything was contradictive to what the word of God says. And he was just trying to pacify me, trying to medicate me. I have nothing against medication. In fact, I did take some, but I, you know, I used to do drugs. So I told the guys on staff, hey, this is what I'm taking, man. If I go weird, you know, this is what I'm taking. I didn't hide it from anybody. I told the staff, I told the board, I told my wife, my children. Hey, listen, if I get weird, this is what I'm taking. Okay, report anything. And I just didn't feel right. And I said, you know what? I can't do that. And through, through that time of darkness, I, I, I see Paul the apostle. There were no signs of, of lamenting. There's no expressed complaint, no regrets, no desperation. Not one iota of griping or pointing fingers of culpability. Well, the reason I am this way, you know, because, you know, those people in the ministry, oh, that pastor messed me up. Yeah, the ministry, you know, it just tore me up. There was not one sign of Paul ever finger pointing or lamenting his unpleasant circumstances. Not once. There's no signs of burnout. That's the popular term used to characterize the loss of physical and emotional and mental energy. And that's what I had. But it was not burnout. I wasn't giving up on the ministry. I'm just human. It was just a toll on my body, on my mind, on my head, everything. What I was experiencing are very signs of PTSD. That's what I was feeling. How did I go through all that? How was I able to traverse through all the pain, all the anxiety, all the mental strain, all the backstabbing, the financial situations, the church is growing. How am I going to do this? And that's when I I lost it. I didn't get crazy, but I know people, they get crazy. What are the signs of burnout, character defects, including but not limited? Indolence. Indolence means habitual laziness. Secondly, dependence, the inability to act independent. You're subject to control, reliance, and approval of others. And you're subject to control by what other people say. Third, faintheartedness, timidity, fear, anxiety, dread, apprehension, and mistrust. When you read the book of Joshua, on five times the Lord said, Joshua, do not be what? Afraid. Do not be dismayed. Don't freak out. Here's Joshua. He's always been the second fiddle. And all of a sudden, he has no idea that, jo- that Moses is having a conversation with God. Moses, Joshua's taking over. Joshua doesn't even know what's going on. I have selected Joshua. And Moses still Joshua. Joshua, you're taking over. I. 1. something million people, whatever, over, over 100. They already got problems. And now Joshua is going to take over. The implication, the infer implication in chapter 1 of Joshua is that Joshua is freaking out. Where God has to say, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Just as I was with Moses, I am with you. So there's a sign there of Moses' apprehension. He's human. 
The same thing happened to me. The other fourth character defect of, of burnout is cynicism. What does that mean? Bitter, distrusting, contemptuous, hypercritical, or pessimistic of people in ministry. The other one is deception. We become crafty, duplicitous, cunning, or bad faith. And the end result of all combination of the above, or maybe one, is usually emotional isolation. Look at Paul. Lord, you call me. You commission me. And out here, I'm busted, can't be trusted. I'm here in jail. That, that's the end? That's, that's it? There's not one iota of complaint. What I hear a lot in, in my time is people are usually finger pointing or finding some rationale for what you're going through. We forget Paul the Apostle. When the Lord called him on the way to Damascus, he get this guy. And he tells him, listen, Paul is an instrument in my hands. This is what God tells Ananiah, who lives in Damascus. He says, for I must show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. See, I started connecting the dots, man. In my time of darkness, I connected the dots. I go, Lord, have mercy. So I self-medicated myself. I went to the local infirmary and I got me three drugs that I used to take before. You know what the drugs are? And you know what the infirmary is? The infirmary is my prayer closet, is my house and my car. My car is the where in my in my car is where I cry, is where I pray, and my car is when I shake and I tell the Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. That's it. People can come and give me the accolades and the kudos. I, that was a good, that was a good sort of pastor. Pastor, the Lord is moving. Oh, okay. Well, when? When did he move? <laughs> was I there? Your words. Oh, pastor, the word. What word? You know that word. What word did I say? <laughs> and, 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 and so I had to go back. I went to my prayer closet. That's my infirmary. One of the drugs that I took. I used to take those drugs. That was love, joy, and peace. Amen. See, the, you know that. I'm not saying something that's like out of sight, like, wow, we didn't know that. No, you know that. But Paul the Apostle writes to the Philippians, for me to write to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. By way of reminding you. You see, if, if love... If joy and peace ever run off out of your character, you are going to have a dysfunctional life, let alone ministry. In the upper room discourse, John tells us in John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, right? And then Jesus drops something on them. He says, a new commandment I give unto you. That you love one another. By this the world you know my disciples. Chapter 13. And then he says in chapter 16. Peace I give unto you. And then he qualified it. It's not the peace. Like this world. And what is the peace of this world? The absence of conflict. That's not what he's speaking about. But he doesn't elaborate it. It is Paul. Who is from prison. Who elaborates 
how the peace of God works. Not how, but what it does. He says, rejoice. That's the theme of Philippians. Rejoice. I say, rejoice again. He says, don't worry about a thing, but pray about everything. Let your request, your thanksgiving, your, 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 your petitions to God. And he says, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your mind and your heart. You see, that, that, this necessity is not doctrine. We're not talking about methodology, which is important. He's not speaking about doctrine. He was speaking as, as a dead man walking. In a couple of hours, he will be arrested. And the following day, he will be crucified. So here's Jesus dropping some words to his disciples. He said, then the next thing, joy. He says, don't let anyone take my joy away from you. Joy is very, very important. This is, this is what Paul had. A joy that, 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 is, that is very obvious here. The word joy, when you look at joy in the dictionary, the word joy is an emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. A lot of people like to quote from Nehemiah chapter 8. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. Right? But when you look at it in context, when you read Nehemiah chapter 8, what's the story? When you look at the story, it makes sense how that joy comes about. You see, joy cannot be produced by you and I. You cannot say right now, I'm, I'm going to feel joyful right now. Right now. Yes, right now. You can't produce that. So how or what or why should we rejoice? When you look at the word and you look at it in context in Nehemiah. There Nehemiah tells us that they, they got the book of the law. And Ezra began to read it. Because the people didn't understand Hebrew because they've been living in Babylon for 70 years. They, 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 they were like, the, like second generation Americans. Like my kids. They, they don't speak hardly Spanish. They eat Mexican food, Puerto Rican food. But, but, but they're all educated here. And, and, and so... So the people from Babylon, when they were reading, the Bible says they gave understanding to people. And when they heard the word of God, the Bible says they, they begin to weep and cry and bow down and worship God in humility. They were so broken up, especially we are told that when the people begin to interpret the Bible for them, what the Bible said. And the Bible says there in chapter in Nehemiah, there were the whole, the whole population, men, women, and child, they were broken because the word of God. And finally, the Levi says, do not weep for today is holy unto the Lord. Go and eat, go in fellowship and share your food with others. And the Bible says that they went home and they were broken and they rejoiced immensely because they had heard the word of God. So what does that mean to you and I? It means to you and I that the absence of the word of God will not give you joy. The absence of fellowship with Jesus, you will not have that peace. You see, peace, people tell me, Pastor, I just want to feel the peace of God. These are heathen people. I just want to have the peace of God. Have you made peace with God? No. Would you like to make peace? No, not now. Well, how, how can you receive the peace of God without making peace with the Prince of Peace? And, and so it, it, to them, it's a contortion, mental contortion. I don't know. I, I just I don't. <laughs> it's there. 
just acknowledging that you're, you're a sinner and that you need Jesus Christ. And he raised from the dead. And the Bible said you shall be saved. But it's like, I can't, I can't. I can't wrap my mind around that. <laughs> Peace is necessary. Joy is necessary. Love is necessary. Now, you look, at, you look at the word love in the dictionary. There's around 28 definitions of love. But there's only one definition that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The essence of love is Jesus Christ. My friends, listen. You need in your armament of character traits. You need to have these three dynamic emotional characteristics. The absence of love, in my opinion, is vacant in many churches. Many churches. I've gone on vacation with my wife, and we walk into a church. They don't tell them I'm a pastor. I'm telling them I'm not from, from Calvary Child. I go with my wife. Do you know there's some people that don't even greet? They don't say hello? Your first time here? Nothing. See, when I, when I went to Costa Mesa, what I saw was joyful hippies. They were joyful. But it wasn't joy. It was, it was real joy. It was a contagious kind of joy. Love, dude. These people were, love was just exuding from these people. Dude, love you, man. Now, if, if, if you notice today, if I said hello to somebody, you know that I say that very loosely. Amen, love you. They may sound kind of corny and kind of hokey, but that's what I learned. God bless you. Love you, brother. Love you. I still do that. It's a mannerism. Sometimes I get in trouble. Sometimes I'm, I'm on the street and I see some guys that are not even heathen. They're heathens. They're not Christians. And, you know, I say, hey, love you, man. What? I say, uh, sorry, man, but I still love you. It's, 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 it's in me. So Paul the Apostle is basically is saying that, that he's willing to become a sacrifice. If I'm poor out as a sacrifice for the service, he says, I'm very glad. Go with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Now, again, a lot of you know it by heart. I understand that. But in context of what Paul is saying, that, that, that he, is, he just basically looked upon as a sacrifice in service of their faith. He goes, I am being poured out as a drink offering. It could be a reference to Leviticus chapter 11 verses 1 through 10. And the process of that sacrifice, there are several steps, process of that sacrifice. And the last stage of that sacrifice, and when they pour wine over that sacrifice. So Paul is saying, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering for your ministry, he goes, I am glad. I am a sacrifice. Notice what he writes in chapter 12. I beseech you. One of those English words means I beg of you. I beseech you, therefore, my brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now stop there. Living sacrifice? That's an oxymoron. By the virtue of being a sacrifice, let me ask you, do they present live animals and a sacrifice or dead animals? Well, they, they slaughter them and they present them dead. So this is an oxymoron. How can you be a living sacrifice? Paul says, be death to self and alive in the spirit. 
So there's a type of discipline here. He says, I beg you, my brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy. Now, holy gives me separate, acceptable to God, acceptable based on the faith in Jesus Christ, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So by conducting yourself and considering yourself, I'm a sacrifice. What does that mean? I'm to service others. Uh, life is not static. And ministry, when you call to a ministry and you have a calling in your life, you're called to minister, to love God's people. And, and there's a lot of sacrifice in that. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of emotional wear and tear. There's, there's a lot of fatigue. There's a lot of perplexity. Am I talking to somebody? There's a lot of things that people don't tell you. And it is. It's the criticism. It's the complexity. It, 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 is, it is the peripheral damages. It's the sickness. It's degeneration. It, it, all these things that come upon you. Sometimes we don't say anything to anyone because people misunderstand that it's us. We're the ones, we're sinful. We don't have it together. When you do have it together, but the complexities can overwhelm you. Last night when Joe said, if some of you are zapped out and you're saying, Lord, this is it right here. It says, stand up. I know people stood up, but I know people that did not want to stand up. Because it's painful, man. It's very painful, You feel like a loser. And let me tell you, you're not. Now, if it's induced by your negligence and disobedience and rebelling and defiance and you're doing your own thing, what's the consequences of your flesh? But if you're in ministry and you're about your father's business and all these things happen upon you and you can't figure it out why. Listen, you're a sacrifice. You answer the call. You're here. Therefore, there there, lies a, a reality that, that we need to be sacrifices. And Paul the Apostle has become a living sacrifice. And he gives us a spiritual gifts. And notice verse 9. 26 exhortations. If you become a living sacrifice. Let love be without hypocrisy. Number two. Hate or abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor giving preference to another one. That sounds like Philippians chapter 1. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, giving to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those that weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. (laughs) Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, praise God for that. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peacefully with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. My friends, some of the stuff that he's asking us to do, you know and I know they're humanly impossible. 
God is not asking you to do it in the human front. He's asking us for us to become a living sacrifice. Consecrated to God. When you do that. The Bible gives you the ability because see, what you want to defend is your ego. You want to respect your credibility and, and your reputation. And listen, this Galatians chapter 6 verse 2, it says, If anyone thinks he is somebody, when in reality he is nothing, he deceives himself. Wow. The Lord used a wonderful poem. I'm not good at poems. I used to snip glue and took a lot of, a lot of acid. And I don't have good memory retention. But I went to the dentist and I read his digest and, and they have quotations. And I've never forgotten this. It's been 20 years. Her name is Elizabeth Gooch. I don't know who she is. But this is what she said. Great men will never frighten you. Their humility will always put you at ease. If any man frightens you, they're not great. They only think they are. Wow. And I said, Lord, that's for me. You see, I know that I'm nobody. I'm a non-entity. I'm a zero for a hero. I'm a nobody exalting somebody. And that is the attitude I have. This calamity that hit me, it caused me to realize that I'm called. The doctor was very wrong. I don't need medicine. I, I don't need to retire. I don't need to get away from this vocation. I love what I do and I do what I love. I found out three things in this calamity. Very healthy for me. I found out one thing that God loves me. God loves me. The second thing, my wife loves me. That, that I know. We have five children together. Not all of them perfect. They're weird in their own ways. But they all love me. My friends, that's mental health. That's mental hygiene. To continue in this race. I, I, my wife and I, we made a pact together. He said, listen, we've been going through so much. On the outside, it looks perfect. It looks like success. Look at that. You're growing. You got a building. You, 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 I, 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 mean, I mean, we had newspapers, you know, coming in and wanted to, fight, wanted to interview me. And I, 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 I have things against the press. I don't talk to the press because they're depressing but they found out that our church was one of the largest church. And, and the reason our church was spotted because uh, uh, some kind of freak show was called L.A. Preachers of L.A., something like that. And so they wanted to find out what all the preachers are at and everything. And they found out that here's Calvary Chapel. Oh, they're under the radar. Look at their flying under the radar. And, and, and so they wanted to interview. I said, well, I don't want to interview them. And they said, you know who we are? And they were very powerful press people. You know who we are? Yeah, I do. And you don't have time for us? No, I really don't. It's not about being pronounced in the press. We fly under the radar, man. People are getting saved. People are being transformed. People are being reformed. It is all to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We made a decision. We're going to be broken. Get ready for it, my friends. Get ready for it. But listen. Hope. Forgive me. Love. Love is something that we need, brother. You know, it's so beautiful. I can go to a, a third world country where people don't eat the same food as I do. We dress differently. Our view of lives are different, but the view of Jesus Christ is the same. We don't speak the language. We don't eat the foods. But there's something emanating from this gentleman, and that is love, the love of Jesus Christ. 
we feel it, we sense it, we communicate, and we hug. It is the love of Jesus Christ. You need it in your ministry, in your own personal life, for the benefit of your own children, for the benefit of your wife. Love is very, very important. It has to be evidenced and manifested in you. And if you don't know what to do, you look at 1 Corinthians. And there we see in 1 Corinthians, we see there the love that is, that is, that is the, the real love of God. And then joy. You see, joy. If, people, if you have no joy, you're going to do things mechanically. You're going to be doing things forcefully. And when you start doing things out of obligation, it becomes a rut. It is no longer fun. When Rob and Alex, they came up here to worship, I, I told them, have fun, man, have fun. Because ministry should be loads of joy and fun, not a drag, not something you, you're forced to be here. Oh, man, I want to be here, man, I'm forced to be here, I have to look good. Dude, no, the behavior has to change. Because if you don't lay it down here tonight, you, you're going to take a bigger burden for you. I've been there, I've done that, I got the t-shirt, I got the tattoo, I've been there. I know what it is to go to, to, go to a retreat and, 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 and you walk away worse than you came in. But see, I was clouded. It was clouded. And I had to go back to that beautiful well of Christ. Get your hope back. Get your joy back. And get the other one. I forgot the other one. See, that's what happens. What is it? Thank you. I appreciate that. So... I beg of you, tonight, you know, if you said, Pancho, I thought, you know, you were going to encourage me. You know, it's a reality check. Ministry is fun. The energy, it is God that gives you the energy. The Bible says right here in Philippians, in Philippians, who says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That's Philippians chapter 2, 13. You know, the word works means the word is energeo. Energeo, where we get our English word energy. So the energy is produced by God himself to do and to will for his good pleasure. All you are is an instrument. All you are in me is a conduit. We're a spigot. We're a conduit of his grace. We are reflectors. Look at the moon. The moon has no light. It's a satellite. But it reflects the sun. And moonlight is given. And moonlight, that that light brights. And like the moon, and like satellites, we're gravitating around the Lord Jesus Christ. It is his light. It is his love. It is his church, his people, his sheep. And all he's asking us to take care of them, to feed them, educate them. Oh, what a glorious responsibility that is. Sometimes because we do funerals at our church. I share this with you. At our church, we do funerals uh, for people that can't afford them. And that's 90% of our community. They go to their church of, of affiliation and their, their traditional church. And they put the price tag. And I said, oh, that's duress upon duress. My son just died. And now you want me to pay this? You mean it's more on Saturday? And it's more on Sunday? And so they go to the mortuary and say, we can't afford it. And they said, listen, there's a church called Calvary Chapel. And we do. They come in. They're 
blow, they're, they're blown away. Because I have a right. They can't tell me what not to preach. It's for free. <laughs> right? So, so, they come in and I share the gospel. You know, the dead, he's dead. He, he made a decision. I don't know where he's at. He's dead. I don't tell him, you know, he's in heaven. That's what they say. He's in heaven. I don't know if he's in heaven or not. We don't talk about him. We talk about you. How are you feeling? Amen. We're talking about your salvation, your life, your pain, your grief, your, your, your pain in your heart. And I give the full counsel of God, the peace of God, the comfort and the assurance of hope that we are living and going to the valley of the shadow of death. I said, this gentleman here not going to the shadow. He get the real thing. You and I are going to the shadow of death. We're dying. What are you going to do with eternity? And then I share so nicely, so wonderful package. And they get cut. But they're not getting cut with a knife. They're getting cut with a scalpel of love. And then you know they're bleeding. And people come to Jesus Christ. I have people come and tell me, hey, hey, padre, hey, uh, priest, or whatever, father, whatever. <laughs> seriously, seriously. They says, uh, that's a good speech, man. That's a good speech. Wow. I said, well, that's not speech. It's the word of God. Wow. You talk like that on Sundays? Psh, better. That's for the living. It's for the dead. <laughs> Let me close with the word of God. Turn with me in the last one. This is just from Second Timothy chapter 4. This is Paul's last letter. And I make it personal to you and I. Chapter 4, 2 Timothy. Now, Paul, this is his last letter that we know of. He tells Timothy, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Notice the seven, the, the seven exhortations. Preach the what? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they, who are they? I think it begins in chapter 3, verse 8. Uh, John's and Jambres, they resisted Moses. They resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith. But they will progress no further, for their folly will manifest to all as theirs. So the continuing text is that these people are not sharing the truth, and they have corrupt minds, and they're resisting the truth. So verse 3 says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine or healthy doctrine, but exception, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, Timothy, be watchful in all things. What is the first thing he has to endure? You, know, you don't say it with conviction. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. Wow. And here he goes again about his sacrifice in service. But be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Verse 6. Forgive me. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering at the time of my departure is at hand. Notice what he says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. 
I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid out for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on what? On that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearance. Paul the apostle, in his end, he says, listen, I'm still looking forward for that day. My friends, that day is still a future day for us too. There's a day of reckoning. There's a day when you and I have to make an account. Endure the afflictions, whatever you're going through. But don't go at it alone. Find a confidant. Find someone that you can share what's going on. But do not be a lone ranger with these kind of emotions. Don't do that. Just talk to somebody. Pray that God will just minister to you. And I pray that today will become a day when it's a sensational day for you. There will be an aha moment. There will be a connecting the dots moment. As it was for me, I connected the dots, but I suffered too much because I was alone. I, if I go through it again, I will not go alone. I will call Pastor Joe, I will call somebody else, and I'll tell listen, I'm tripping, man, I'm tripping. It is what it is. But it's just situations that are there beyond my comprehension. But know this, if you call to ministry, you're going to suffer. Just buckle up. I wish it wasn't. I wish I could say, hey man, you're all right, I'm all right, everything's all right, we're okay. Woohoo, everything's cool. No, get ready. Get ready. Be ready. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Poncho Juarez. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Poncho's teaching ministry by visiting thearcmontebello.com.